In just a few minutes, I will have us read from Hebrews chapter 11. So go ahead and take your Bible and turn there in your Bible if you would. If you're looking around and someone near you has a Bible, but you don't, maybe you can scoot over by them. Or better yet, if you have a Bible and someone doesn't, you can show yourself friendly and share your Bible with them. We'll be reading in just a few minutes from Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, Sister Ashley. Thank you again to our praise team for a great job that they've done in leading us in worship today. <clears throat> Sister Robin Bulger is a great part of our church. We're so thankful she's back and part of our church, she and her family. And... Amen, amen. Brian and Titus. And uh, her dad uh, introduced me to something years ago in Scripture. Uh, perhaps I knew it, but he kind of broadened my understanding of it, and that is the study of numerology in Scripture. And Brother Denton uh, loves numerology. And you say, I don't know what numerology is. Numerology is the study of numbers, the study of numbers. And the study of numbers, numerology is not inherently a biblical pursuit, but it can be very powerful biblically as well. Uh, it's very interesting when we study numbers in Scripture. And many times it is highly significant. Uh, there are numbers that jump off the page at me when I read scripture. The number 5,000 is significant in the Bible. It refers to the number of men fed with loaves and fish by Jesus supernaturally. Now that's besides the women and children. 5,000 men that were fed by five loaves and two fish. A great miracle. Uh, the number 300 is an interesting number in the Bible. Uh, these are the number of warriors that were handpicked by God... Uh, and Gideon, if you remember that Old Testament story. If you don't know that story, read that sometime. Book of uh, Judges, Gideon, and the 300 hand-picked warriors. 120. How many know 120 is a significant number in the Bible? Because that is the number of Holy Ghost seekers in Jerusalem's upper room. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 120 of them. 70 has significance in Scripture. The number of disciples sent out two by two by Jesus. Twelve. Big time number in the Bible. Twelve. The number of this motley crew called the disciples, the core leaders following Jesus in both miracles and in his ministry. Ten. Everybody say ten. If you have two hands, hold them up. Ten, ten. Ten commandments. Ten lepers cleansed by Jesus. It's a significant number. Six is a nice number in Scripture. It speaks of the creative days of the Lord on the first few pages of the Bible. Even the number three has significance. Three disciples in Jesus' inner circle. Yes, there were 12 disciples, but if you look and investigate closely we will find that there's actually three in that inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Now, before I jump to the singular number, I will tell you another crooked number is significant in Bible. It's the number two. There were two witnesses that were slain, according to Scripture, or will be slain in the streets in Revelation chapter number 11. And then there's the number one. We love the number one. It's a significant number. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Amen. And so numbers 
are a very interesting study in Scripture. And then there are the spellings of English words and some Greek words as well. When you study the New Testament, it was originally written in the Greek language. And so there are spellings of words which yield significant number meaning. Now I want to show you this on the screen. I'm going to put a Greek word on the screen. Go ahead and put that word up there. It is the word penti. It is the Greek word for the number five. Five. I want to show you another word that has five in it on the screen. Pentecost. Now, if you were to cover up the subscription there and just see the word Pentecost, we would have to deduce from the pente, P-E-N-T-E, part of that word, that the number five is somewhere in that meaning of that word. And in fact, it is. Pentecost literally means 50th. Pentecost literally means the 50th day after Passover. Now, I'm going to show you another word. Big word, big word alert here. You ready? Here we go. It is the word Pentateuch. Now, if you were to cover up the subscription or the subscript there, you would have to deduce pretty quickly that in the Pentateuch, whatever that is, it contains the number five, something significant. Are you with me right now about that? That means the number five. And truly, that is right. It is representing the first five books of the Bible. The books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, when we talk about books of the Bible, we can begin to study that out. And I've always said when you're studying the Bible, it's important to make some, some determinations pretty quickly. First of all, when studying a book of the Bible, we have to ask a question. Who's writing this? Who's the author? Number two, to whom are they writing? Because there's always an author and there's always an audience to the author. And then number three, what is the context of the day in which they are writing? This is to help us properly interpret Scripture. Now, when we talk about the authorships of books of the Bible, some are very, very obvious. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jude, the Song of Solomon. Do you know who the author of those books are? Matthew. Mark, Luke, John, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jude, and Solomon. Others, however, it takes some investigation. Now Moses, the man Moses, is largely believed to be the author of these first five books of the Bible. And as you and I study the scripture, we will find that there is an internal witness that shows this to be true. In Exodus chapter number 2, we are introduced to Moses. We are introduced to him when he is three months old, born of woman, three months old, when he could not be hidden any longer. He is placed in what the Bible calls an ark of bulrushes, and he is sent down the Nile River. If we read that story to its completion, we will find that he is miraculously discovered in that ark by Pharaoh's daughter. 
and thus begins a life of deliverance, a life of godly provision, and a life of miracles. That all happens in that book of Exodus. We go to Leviticus and the book of Numbers, and they all begin with the Lord coming and speaking to Moses. That's in the first few verses of both of those books. It's the word that the Lord gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says the word of Moses was given to Israel. And so Moses is clearly the author of those four books of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, most Bible scholars attribute the first five books of the Bible or the Pentateuch to what they call, and what I will submit to this great congregation, substantial mosaic authorship. Let me say that one more time. Substantial mosaic authorship. Now, you may say, well, pastor, okay, we're going to get to Hebrews 11. Yes, we are. This is what you call laying a foundation in a sermon. <laughs> Substantial mosaic authorship. What does that mean? Couldn't it be complete mosaic authorship? Total mosaic authorship? Well, yes, it could. However, there are a couple of verses in the book of Deuteronomy. Right before you leave the Pentateuch, that can be problematic if we allow them to be. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 5. Now consider with me that Moses is the author of these books of the Bible. Go with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 5. And watch what the scripture says. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Go to verse number 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Let's go one more, shall we? Verse number 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 37. But since then, 34 rather, 34 and 10. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now hopefully, because this is an intelligent group here today, you see why I propose to us that the first five books of the Bible contain substantial mosaic authorship. And some may say, well, wait a second. Did you just say that Moses wrote about Moses dying? Did you just say that it was Moses that wrote, Moses was 120 years old when he died? Yes. Did you just say that it was Moses that wrote, there was not a prophet in Israel like Moses? <laughs> yes. Perhaps it was Moses that had revelation and he passed the pen to someone that he commissioned 
and said, I've got revelation from God and, and you need to write this down. It, fe- it feels a little self-serving. feels a little strange to calculate and name my own death date. It really feels weird to toot my own horn as being that there's no other prophet like Moses in all of Israel. So it could have been that Moses commissioned a trusted individual to finish the portion after he died that he received by revelation. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which leaves only one question. What about that book of Genesis? I want you to look at Exodus chapter 1 and verse 1 with me, please. I want to show you something that I had not seen until just recently. Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 1, here's what the Word of God says. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. And in the ensuing verses, we see a litany of names of people that came with Jacob to Egypt, But I want you to notice the very first word of the very first verse of the book of Exodus. And it is the word now. Now is a conjunction that is very synonymous and used interchangeably in the Bible with the word and. These words tell us that Exodus was actually a continuation of of the book of Genesis. How many of you know, I said it last week, that verses and chapters were added many, many years after the scriptures were given. That's a relatively recent development. And so we see proof positive here in Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 1 that Moses continued what he wrote in the book of Genesis in giving credence to what the book of Exodus tells. It is a continuation And so in the book of Genesis, it was Moses being revealed by God as to how all this thing started. It was this man named Moses who the Lord came down, some believe on Mount Sinai, and gave him understanding of what had happened on the earth and in creation even before he was born. Because if you look at it closely, you will see that everything in the book of Genesis, happened before Moses was born. And so God, in his grace, needing to make sure we could have that and record that for all of time and eternity, spoke it, revealed it, and gave it to Moses. And Moses wrote it down, watch this now, by faith. Moses said, I've heard from the Lord. And because I've heard from the Lord, I'm going to write down that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was Moses that wrote it down and received it by faith. It was Moses that accepted God's purpose and his plan. That's faith. Faith is the acceptance of God's purpose and God's plan. Faith is evident in the very first page of the Bible. It's evident in the first verse of the Bible. And it is evident in the first words of the first verse on the first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, before there was anything, 
In the beginning, before there was animal. In the beginning, before there was human. In the beginning, before there was structure. In the beginning, before there was form. In the beginning, before there were issues and problems and mountains. and In the beginning, God was there. You say, when did God show up? He just always has been. Because the Bible says, in the beginning, He was there. Moses wrote it down by faith, and I believe it this morning by faith. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in the ensuing verses after that bold declaration to start off the holy canon of Scripture, nine times the Scripture says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it happened, and God declared it, and it came to be, and God said it, and it happened, and God spoke it, and it came to pass. I stand in this pulpit on this July 31st morning, and I declare to this congregation, to the congregation watching online, I believe in a great creator. I believe in creative design. I believe that God created the heaven and the earth. You say, Brother Gaddy, how can you believe that? You were not there. You cannot test that scientifically. Let me tell you how I believe that. I believe it by faith. I believe that he had a purpose and that he had a plan, and I believe it by faith. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 11 and the third verse. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen we're not made of things which are visible. In other words, you can't put your finger on it and say because A plus B equals C, then that's how it happened. No, no, no. Not according to the creative design. According to the creative plan, and it's told in Scripture, God spoke and it happened. God declared it with his mouth and it creatively came to be. So because I have faith to believe in the creation account this morning, then I believe that God's word has creative power. How many of you believe that God created the heaven and the earth? Just real quick show of hands. If you don't believe that, that's all right. I just want a quick, quick show of hands. Keep your hands up. You believe that God created the heaven and the earth. If you believe that God created the heaven and the earth, you are believing that based on the word of a man that had to believe it by faith. But if you believe that God created the heaven and the earth, then you also can believe that God's word has creative power. That his days of speaking... And something happening are not in the rear view mirror. That God declaring something. Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. 
that God declaring something with his mouth still has the power to create something out of nothing and speak into the void and the abyss and the darkness and form something that wasn't there before. Is there anybody in this place that because you believe he's a creative God, he still is a creative God and his word still can create and his word still can perform miracles? Come on. We got to get convinced that when God speaks, things happen. When God declares, things happen. When God talks, things come to be. When God says something, the first two pages of the Bible prove that when God says something, he doesn't just augment or improve something. But through his word, he can create something. Mm. which says far less about my particular need and far much more about his creative power. Have you ever been at the place where you were knowing you needed to pray about something, but you didn't even know what to pray for? Just help a brother out right here. Anybody? I know I need to pray. I know I need to get God involved in this equation. I feel it. I sense it. But what am I going to do? How am I going to pray? I don't even know how to pray about this, Pastor. What do I say when I come to the Lord? Can I just tell you something? There is no greater question that we could ever investigate than this. And if you're waiting for the good part of this sermon, good morning. It's here right now. There exists no greater question that we could ever investigate than this. What is God saying? What is God saying? What is God declaring about this? What has God's word said about this? What does God want to talk about right now? What is God interested in saying right now? Oh, if I could give a gift to everybody in this house, it would be at every juncture of our life, in every valley, in every mountaintop, in every good time and bad time. We are absolutely insatiably going after this answer. What is God saying? What is God saying? What is God saying? Because, honey, when God says something, creative things start to happen. Oh, I'm going to preach it till you get it today. When God starts talking, he can take nothing and create something. He can take a void and bring about an earth. He can create through his word. When God gets to talking. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to be real transparent today. The last person that I need to hear most of the time is me. Frankly, I get tired of just hearing my voice. That's why on Sunday morning I got to pivot. And I got to open up my Bible to Psalm 68 and 33 to him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice and it is a mighty voice. When my voice is weak, I need to hear the voice of the Lord because it is a mighty voice. 
The psalmist declared it in the 29th Psalm. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders and the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. Oh, I feel dangerous today. There's something about when he speaks. There's something about when he declares. There's something about when he talks. There's something about when God speaks. I have to step back and say, glory, glory, glory. I didn't see that coming. I wouldn't have worked it that way, but God spoke. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody in here. You don't need a good baptism of another person's opinion. You need God to speak over your family. You need God to speak over your marriage. You need God to speak over your children. You need God to speak over your reality. Come on. We got to know what God's saying, what God says, what God says, what God says. Woo. I'm going to help somebody right here right now. Back in 1996, I was preaching one of my first youth camps I ever preached. It was in the great state of Florida. I love the state of Florida, especially in the wintertime. And I was down in the state of Florida, and I was preaching, and I got up and preached that day, that first day of the camp that I was participating in, and, and I preached, Brother Zane, and when I got done, I felt like I absolutely dropped the ball. I mean, it felt like my words came out, and they went, I just couldn't get it out. Like a big verbal mess. And I, you know, you put the game face on, you keep preaching. Yeah. I got done preaching and I went back to the platform. And nobody knew it. But I'm over there kind of crying in my root beer. <sighs> Bring me down here to preach at this youth camp. And I had a good friend of mine by the name of David Elms. He pastors in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Good friend of mine. He came up to me and he, he walked up. And you got to know Brother Elms. He's just kind of a hyper guy. He goes, great preaching, Brother Gaddy. Great preaching. And I made a big mistake. I started bemoaning what I had preached. Oh, Brother Elms. I just felt like that was awful. I just felt like it was just, oh, oh, man. I feel like I need to make an apology. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of friends do you have? You got friends that come up next to you when you start spouting that off and say, oh, come on, man. That, that was good, man. Don't beat yourself up. Well, I'm here to tell you, David Elms was not that type of friend. 
Brother Little David Elms got up in my grill. For those of you older folks, that means got right in my face. He got right, no personal space respect at all. He looked at me, he said, Tim Gaddy, don't you ever say that again. And he started asking me questions. I wasn't wanting people to ask me questions right then. Did you preach from the Bible? Yes. Did you pray? Yes. Did you give your heart to the Lord and ask him to help you when you preach? Yes. Then don't ever say that again. His word has power. So I'm going to tell you what I prayed. Isn't it funny how all these years later I remember that? I was preaching at a conference a few months ago with David Elms. And I said, David, you remember. He said, oh, yeah, I remember. I said, thank you. Thank you. Because you did more than just correct me that day at that youth camp. You gave me a correct paradigm of a power that is in this word. Come on, honey. If he can take a donkey and give a word, he can take Tim Gaddy and give a word. If he can speak through rocks and he can speak through things that we never thought he can speak today, his word is powerful. His word is true. His word can do the work. So I'm going to tell you something. I prayed this morning and I said, God, don't let me see the faces of anybody in this church. Because you know what? Here's the, here's the fact. Adam, let me throw this to you. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I'm not saying this to be presumptuous. I'm not saying this to say, oh, this is the greatest message in the history of messages. I'm not saying it for any reason like that. But it doesn't matter to me today whether you like this message. Because the Lord settled in my spirit. If you will preach my word, my word has creative power. If you will declare my word, my word has power to touch families and touch single adults and touch young adults and touch elders. If you'll just preach my word. What is God saying? What is God saying about my job? What is God saying about my career move? What is God saying about my literal move of location? What is God saying about my family? What is God saying about my spouse? What is God saying about my mindset or my thoughts? What is God saying about how I get better? What is God saying about how I get up out of this pit of thinking? What is God saying about my health? What is God saying about my relationships? What is God saying about the resolving of the conflict? What is God saying? Because if I believe in the creation account that through his word, everything that is framed and formed, if I believe that, then I have to believe that he has creative power through his word. That's why the proverb writer said, every word of God is pure. I like what one version says, every word of God is flawless. I just want to say this and I'll get to my second point. Here's why it's so important that we answer the question, what is God saying? Because according to scripture, when God speaks, he's never wrong. 
then it just becomes a matter of whether I'm listening for his answer and I'm obedient should it call me to be obedient. But his word is always right. Secondly, if I believe in the creation account, then I have faith. And I also believe that God is worthy of an excellent offering. I'm preaching about the DNA of faith today. This is in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. It's interesting, in order to understand Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, we have to go back and look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. All the way from the New Testament back to the Old Testament. It actually begins in verse 1 of Genesis chapter number 4 where the scripture says this. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. In other words, his face soured up. You ever heard someone talk without words? Just because what their face looked like. Now. I have a brother, and so this passage has always perplexed me. And when I got to studying this, Brother Fertig, I got to thinking about it. The Bible says that the Lord had respect to Abel's offering, and yet did not have respect to Cain's. Does it not say that? Now, if you try to kind of deduce this down to figure it out, a couple of different options can come to the surface. You could say, well, it's just the providence of God. God liked Abel's. He didn't like Cain's. End of story. I guess. But most of us, that doesn't really jive with us. Because we want things to be semi-fair. Especially with siblings. Can I get a witness? Now, it seems from this passage, or at least it is inferred, that both brothers brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And I'm going to show you that in Scripture here in just a minute. But all my life, I've, I've tried to figure this out. Well, I'll tell you why the Lord had respect to Abel's is because he brought of the flock and they had to kill the animal. And that goes back to Genesis 3 and verse 20 where the Lord took skins of animals and he clothed Adam and Eve. And that was the first sacrifice. So Abel's was more in keeping with the blood being shed. It's a type of Jesus on the cross. And I get all that. I understand that. And I've even taught that. It does show, I will say, it does show a very powerful picture of blood being shed and, and Jesus coming. Very powerful picture. And yet, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his... The very strong inference here is both of them brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. What was readily available. Both of them did. But Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. This seems to show us that the views of him who offered it was more to be regarded than even the nature of the offering itself. Because Abel gave God, watch this now, the first. And it seems through scripture he also gave him more. He did not just give him an offering and waltz away and say, I did my duty. But on top of the offering of the ground, he brought of the first of the flock. And he killed that animal and brought it to the Lord. He brought first and he brought more. Now here is why I think this is absolutely certainly plausible in this passage. Because when you and I jump forward into the New Testament and the, Paul the, the, the apostle is writing to the Hebrews, he says it like this. First, I'm there, Tim Gaddy equation up on the screen. Here it goes. First plus more equals excellent. You like that arithmetic right there? First plus more equals excellent. Because Paul said Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. In other words, it was beyond. That's what the word excellent means, surpassing, beyond. It was more of an offering. It was first in an offering. It was something beyond just the getting by. See, Abel showed faith in God when he gave the firstborn of the flock because it demonstrated his trust in God that God would take care of the rest of the flock. I'm going to give you the first of the flock and trust you that you got your eye on the rest of the flock. That's going to be my food. That's going to be my provision. That's going to be my commerce. That's going to be my currency. I'm going to give you the first, trusting by faith that you'll take care of the rest. I mean, no, that's true in our lives today. What God asks of us is our first. 
And if we will give him the first, we are declaring to him, I trust you to take care of the rest. I'm going to give you the first. I'm going to come first to you. I'm not going to leave it to the end and give you the leftovers. I'm going to give you the first. As I give you the first, I trust, I have faith that you'll take care of the rest. Abel gave God of the first, and Abel gave God more. Not just a sacrifice of the ground, but also he brought of the firstborn of the flock. Abel showed faith in God because he gave more. This shows his attitude. Not a get-by attitude, but an abundant, generous attitude. He's worthy of more. He's worthy of more. My sweet wife is right back here. Uh, Ashley, you can come to the keyboard, please. Thank you. But my sweet wife is right back here. We're, we're going to be married in December, 29 years, and she's just awesome. I love my wife so much. And, and uh, 29, almost 29 years ago when we stood at that altar on a cold December evening in Canada, and uh, Pastor Beasley said, Tim, do you take Stacy to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold? I'll go through all that. And if I said, which I did, yes, I do. <laughs> then he turned to my wife and said, Stacy, do take Tim to be your wedded husband, go through all that. And she lovingly and longingly looked into my eyes. <laughs> it was hardly audible because it was just so breathless. <laughs> I do. I'm embellishing just a little bit. <laughs> Can you imagine after the honeymoon if we get back to our 900 square foot apartment down in southwest Little Rock? And uh, alarm goes off about 6.15 one morning. And I'm laying in bed. And Stacy's already up. And I yell downstairs from the apartment, Hey! Breakfast! Or later in the day, when I get home, she says to me, State, or Tim, the, the, the garbage, my goodness, it's been days since anybody took the trash out. We, can you please take it to the dumpster? And I was to turn on my heels and go back to the little file cabinet, sift through the files. Yeah, that's it. I come and I hold up the marriage certificate. And I say to her, cast your eyes up on this. Nowhere on this does it delineate me taking trash out. And I wheel around, put it back, lock it, and go sit on the couch. Now, I'm not a prophet, but we might not be 29 years fixing to celebrate. Because here's the deal, folks. Listen very closely. No 
good relationship is ever built on minimums. What do I have to do? What's absolutely necessary? Tell me. Tell me. Because that's what I'm going to do. So can I just say to everybody here, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this so you're accountable for the rest of your life. Our relationship with God is never built on minimums. Show me exactly what it means to be saved. I'm going to do no more than that. But Abel proved a real life of faith is giving him what's first and giving him more. More than what is required. More than what is expected. More than what somebody else says you should do. More. He's worthy of that. And when I do that, I am trusting him with that kind of attitude. I'm going to give you more and you're going to take care of me, Lord. Let's stand together. I'd love to be able to pray with everybody in this house. And I can't do it individually. We'd be here all day. But I wish you would just come out from where you are. Guest, members, everybody that's here. Would you step forward? We're going to pray together before we go home. I feel the deep flow of the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Mm. Praise God. I feel the deep flow of the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Hallelujah. Mm. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Come on, come on. Step out from where you are. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Come quickly. Just make your way down these aisles. Come, come close. Abel offered a more excellent. You know what an excellent offering is? First and more. First and more. First and more. A more excellent sacrifice. Listen, listen. (laughs) If you're not tithing, a more excellent sacrifice is not just the tithe for the first time on the Powerball. And don't play the Powerball, for goodness sake. I'm not going to get into that. That's a horrible stewardship decision. (laughs) But faith says, I'm going to trust you every day, every week, every paycheck, every decision, every time it comes, thick and thin, mountaintop, valley. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to give you more. And here's what the word says. That's an excellent offering. That's an excellent offering. Because that's a faith offering. Amen. Let's talk to the Lord right now. I feel his presence so strong here. Hallelujah. Listen, I I know we're going to go home in a few minutes, but I feel a flow of the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I wish there'd be some ministry take place right now. I wish there'd be some people that would just turn your spiritual frequency up right now and say, God, I want to be used right now. I want to to flow in the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah.
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, teenagers. What is God saying to you today? Come on, new, new person to new life. I may not even got to meet you yet, but can I say, if we can answer that question, what's God saying? His, his word is always pure. His word is always right. What's God declaring today? What is God speaking today? Oh, Jesus, speak right now, Lord. Speak across this altar right now. God, when you speak, creative things happen. When you speak, creation takes place, Lord. I believe it. I believe you framed it, Lord. I believe you, you, you formed it. I believe you created this world, Lord. I believe it by faith. I believe it by faith, Lord. Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah.